invite you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of the Bible that is commonly referred to as the key messianic text or the author of the key messianic text. I played this game last night with some young people and it's an Old Testament book. It's a lengthy book of 66 chapters and open, if you would, to the 42nd and 43rd chapters of the book of And our young people who are good Bible students can already tell you that we're opening to the book of Isaiah as we look at some things that remind us of not being afraid. You know, there are a lot of things to be fearful about. There are a lot of things that are uncertain in this life, whether that be physical health or declining health or uh, the welfare of our parents or of our siblings as we grow older, the spiritual struggles that others are going through. Uh, the heartbreak that parents endure and that children endure when they see those that they love and care about not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. But God says, don't be afraid. He says, I want you to be assured of particular things. And that's the theme, it seems to me, of the first couple of sentences of Isaiah 43. You know, in certain uh, circumstances or certain places, certain churches, if I were to preach a message on the book of Isaiah, I might have to say, peel those pages apart because we look at chapters 59 and 53, but the rest of it we kind of ignore. But that's not the case with this good group of people. And that's a good thing because you care about Bible study and you have read through the book of Isaiah. Uh, We have studied it in the past couple of years. We'll study it at some point, Lord willing, as a congregation again. But I want us to look at chapter 43, and I want us to read the first four verses. Then what I want us to do is to set the stage by going backwards to chapter 42 to set the context, and then make our six applications, because there are six, in in my estimation, six very big jump-off-the-page applications or assurances that come from God. You know, we sing in our songbook sometimes, The song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And the assurance is the idea of something that we can count on. These are things that you can take to the bank, things that are not a matter of opinion, but these are matters of facts. So he says, as Isaiah is recording now in the latter half of the book of Isaiah, he says, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. So there's the the launching place for the sermon title. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, You shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. There's a lot that we can say about these four verses, but in order to really appreciate them, let's make sure that we appreciate the context of what's happened here. 
Now, again, as good Bible students, you understand that Isaiah is a great prophet. He's one of the major prophets, along with Ezekiel and Jeremiah, for example. But to appreciate these six big assurances, these guarantees that come from God, we've got to be reminded of what happened in chapter 42, which is as pivotal of a chapter, in my estimation, as 59 and 53 and 6 and some of the other major chapters that we are most familiar with. For example, if we were to outline chapter 42 just in very broad overtones, we would say that the Messiah promise is being highlighted. And so we see that continuing into chapter 43 as you develop even further than the first four verses that we're reading. For example, 42 verse 1 is probably one of the dozen most familiar verses in all the book of Isaiah to Bible students because it says, behold, my servant whom I uphold. And in my Bible, where it capitalizes references to deity, servant is capitalized. That's probably the case in most English Bibles that we're reading from. And he says, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And that, of course, seems to be a picture of the Messiah some seven and a half centuries into the future. In verse 6, we have what I would call a restatement of God's providential care, where he outlines again, I'm in control, I care about you, and I love you. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. You know, those of you that have young children, when you go in a very busy place or you're walking along a street or you're crossing a street, chances are you're going to grab a hold of the hand of that little one because you want to keep him or her safe. God says, I'll hold your hand. I'll help you as you cross the street to make sure that you safely make it from this side of eternity to eternity. And then in verse seven, one of the verse seventeen, one of the things that uh, repeatedly comes up in the in prophetic writings is this warning about and the futility associated with worshiping false gods. He says they shall be turned back; they shall be greatly ashamed. Anybody who trusts in carved images and who say to the molded images, "You are our God," he says, "Don't do that." I've been telling you that for generation upon generation upon generation. Do not trust in false gods. And then the last thing that I'll point out here is in the last two verses of chapter 42 is the reason for punishment is clear. Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Where did these things come from? Verse 24. Was it not the Lord, Isaiah ponders, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. You see, every time the people found themselves in trouble, it was because uh, they had done wrong. God gives them over to a people that will harm them, that will uh, captivate them. And the fact is, is for the few people who remain loyal to God, even in spite of all the ugliness as found in so many of the prophetic writings... God says, here are some assurances as to why I don't want you to be afraid. Chapter 42, you can make the argument, kind of ends on a, on a sad note, that God says at, through Isaiah, Isaiah through the Holy Spirit, that indeed bad things have happened to uh, our people and will continue to happen to our people for their disobedience to the Lord. But do not be afraid, verse 1 of chapter 43. 
But why should I not be afraid? Why should we as Christians not be afraid? I believe that even though we're looking back through 2,800 years of history or so, there are some timeless reasons why we can be assured. And so assurance number one is this, and we're going to lean heavily on those four verses tonight, just those four verses alone, is that God is our Redeemer. We sing the song, I think my Redeemer lives. No, that's not right. We don't, we don't sing that song. We sing the song, I know my Redeemer lives, because the song, I think my Redeemer lives, wouldn't sell very well because it would be untruthful for us to think or to hope that my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. This Hebrew word, and we're going to look at some words tonight in our study, is also translated as kinsman. So we're looking here at verse 1 where he says, Fear not, for I am your Redeemer, or I have redeemed you. The Hebrew word here is the same idea of kinsman. And it's almost like uh, a family member would buy back property of his relative. And we know that there's some understanding of Jewish tradition. Uh, there's some of the Leverite marriage that we're familiar with in the Old Testament that might help us to appreciate that flavor just a little bit more. But even without that knowledge, or even if that's something that you've never come across before, the idea being here is that family matters. And God says, I am your redeemer. And you'll note, if you would, at least it seems to me that there is a dual nature of this assurance as is outlined in verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4. And that is, God had redeemed Israel from Egypt. In fact, that is found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The story of Exodus primarily in the first uh, two-fifths is about that particular subject. And what's interesting is that on so many occasions going forward, whether it be in the Psalms or whether it be in New Testament gospel sermons, writers who are inspired by God go back to what happened in Egypt as a reference point because the people would have been so familiar with that. That was a very charged concept. Oh, yes, I remember hearing grandpa talk about what his grandpa said about what his grandpa said about being in Egypt and how horrible it was. And then he told me about what was in the Red Sea. And then it was written down by Moses for us. And we're able to read it and understand it and appreciate what the Lord has done for me. So God had redeemed Israel from Egypt. But we also understand that there was another captivity that was about to transpire, and that is God would redeem in the future tense Judah from Babylon. And so much of the prophets are written about what was going to happen or what was happening or what had happened, depending on the various prophets and writers who write those particular things. Turn over, if you would, to the New Testament. We're going to spend most of our time in the Old Testament pages. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, there's a statement that is made. And we spent some time in 1 Peter this morning with David's good sermon on the idea of being a blessing to others and what that means. But in 2 Peter, in that subsequent letter, in chapter 2 and verse 9, the text says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to take care of that. You know, there are things that we do not know. And Brother Donnie Rader just had a meeting for us just eight weeks ago, and he talked about things that we do not know. 
And there are a lot of things we don't know. God knows it all. That's why we call him omniscient. Omni and science. All knowing. All knowledge belongs to God. That's where that word comes from. He is our redeemer and he assures us that he'll do the same for us today. So this isn't an Old Testament promise. And then God says to the New Testament creatures, you're on your own. He says, I'm there for you. I will redeem you. And we understand that's also the idea of being bought back like the property that we illustrated early on in this assurance. Assurance number two is this, and that is we are called by God and we are called by God after God. Now that's not, I I didn't make a mistake. Sometimes I make mistakes in my, my PowerPoints, but that's not a mistake. I meant that on purpose. We are called by God after God, in his name, in his likeness. After all, we are created in his image and there's lots of things that we could talk about what that means in Genesis chapter one, but we are the express image of our Lord as written elsewhere. Consider if you would, going back to Isaiah chapter 43, where he says in verse one, part two, he says, I, the Lord, have called you by your name. You know, the fact is, is you and I are Christians in that we are called after Jesus Christ. We don't call ourselves as people identified with some apostle, nor do we call ourselves with the forerunner of Jesus, nor do we name ourselves after some founder of a church some 300 years ago. We just simply call ourselves Christians. Now, there are other terms that would be appropriate. We are children, we are brethren, we are saints, but we are simply called by God after God. Let me share with you three things that just I thought were very important about that concept as illustrated particularly here in verse 1. And we'll get to the verse 1, part 3 in just a moment here. First of all, appreciate the fact that God is the caller. We did not sit down and say, what are we going to call ourselves? Christians, saints, God's followers? God says, I will call you by my name after my name. And, you know, we sang a song in our song practice tonight about I am adopted, I am free. All of us, regardless of what your status is as a physical human being and a physical familial individual, All of us are adopted. All of us were chosen by God where he says, you know what? I'll take you and I'll put you in my family and I'll give you my name. And that gives you the rights to me. Now, we don't take advantage of that, but God is the one who made the calling. Secondly, God chose to call in what I would call an exclusive Manner. I probably should have put an asterisk next to this and said that's another sermon in the sense that there are individuals who will misteach on this subject. And they'll use passages like Ephesians chapter 1 and some other places and they'll say, well, you see, God chooses this person irrespective of his choice to serve, but he doesn't choose this person even though he would sure like to serve God. But he says, well, God didn't choose me, so I'm just out of luck. That's not the case at all. But God has chosen us, and he does so in an exclusive manner. And then the third thing that I wanted to point out is my favorite part of verse 1, which is the last three words where he says, you are 
mine. It signifies a close relationship. It signifies friend-based. And we're going to come back to that idea of friend in just a few moments at the conclusion of our study. It's the idea of an intimate relationship. He says, you are mine. You know, remember when you were, uh, I don't know if you, I, I grew up a long time ago. So when we were in grade school, we used to make these big paper hearts and around February, and you'd tape it to the front of your desk, and you'd write your name on it. And everyone would put a little Valentine in it. And uh, you were wanting the Valentine, you know, in second grade, you know, you just wanted the candy. You didn't really care about the, the heartfelt thoughts that were associated with it. But sometimes you would get those little candies that say, I choose you, or have other writings on them. These days, you can pay to have whatever you want written on those little hearts, but you are mine, or you're mine, or I want to make you mine. You're mine. You're my friend. You're my valentine. And that makes us feel good. And when someone says, whether it be a spouse, you're mine, and I love you. Whether that be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're mine. I love you. I care about you. Whether that be a close friend whom, with whom we have a, a close relationship, say, you're my friend. You're, we sometimes even use the term best friend. Uh, that's always bothered me a little bit because if there's a best friend, does that mean that your other friends are the worst friends? I don't know what that means really. Uh, but the idea is, is you are a close friend of mine, of mine. God says you are a friend of mine. And we'll come back to that word friend in just a couple of moments. And this grace, this being called by God after God is bestowed on us as well. So the point that I'm trying to make is that this is not just an Old Testament, old world idea. This goes back even to the days of the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I suffered, or let me go back to chapter 1 to the correct text here. He says, saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Really kind of focusing on the first uh, dozen words of that verse. Saved us, called us with a holy calling. That's the relationship that we have with God. God says, I'm going to call you after me. I'm going to put you in my family. That brings us then to the third thing, which is kind of similar, uh, but has some distinct difference to it. It says that we belong to God. God says, don't be afraid because I'm your redeemer. You are called by me and you belong to me. You are mine is the idea of God taking ownership of his people and taking charge of us. And we are human beings who don't like to be told what to do. And we don't like people saying, I own you. Whether that be old school slavery, whether that be a bank that may own the mortgage to our house. We don't really own it outright because the bank can get involved. God says, I own you. And we say, good. I want you to own me. I belong to you. I want you to take ownership of me. Remember if it is that in Genesis 32 and some other places that God designated his people as Israel in order to stress that he wanted a close relationship with him. Remember the whole wrestling match with Jacob as illustrated? And then he says, your name shall be Israel. And the idea being that I own you, that you are my special people that we belong to God. And this is true of us as well. 
even in New Testament times. Go over, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 15. We just recently studied this particular text just four or five weeks ago. But in Acts, chapter 15, there's a quotation from an Old Testament passage that says that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Everybody. Remember what we read in chapter 42 of Isaiah, that Jesus, the elect one, will be the servant to the Gentiles, so that all people, and in fact, Isn't that what Paul says in the introduction to his letter to the church of Rome when he says the gospel is God's power of salvation to all men, no matter what their background is, no matter what their situation is, no matter what your economic uh, outlook is, God says, you belong to me. He says, don't be afraid. You belong to me. I'll be there for you. That brings us then to another similar assurance, but one that's a little bit different in the text, where God says, I'm going to make a promise to you, and that is, I will be with you. In fact, isn't it Jesus who is God with us in Emmanuel, in fleshly form, and came so that he could sympathize with our weaknesses, and as we talked about just uh, Wednesday evening, Caleb talked about even made a little lower than the angels in order to be on a relationship with us. God promises, I will be with you. Which brings us to the lyrics of one of my favorite songs from the 80s, where it says, you will not be alone. You are not alone. I will be with you. Some of you understand the lyrics I'm talking about. Some of you went over your head, and that's okay. But some of you got it. I I got you there. Uh, But you will not be alone. The idea of being alone is one of the scariest things in the world. You know, when we're little, spiders, well, some of you who are older, spiders still scare you. Uh, Darkness, uh, your parents leaving you. But as I get a little bit older, the idea of being alone is something that is frightening. And one of the saddest things is people who do not have family and people who do not have a spiritual family, that's even more important, who are alone. Can you imagine going through the final weeks of your life and doing so alone? That's sad. That's the kind of thing that makes us say, I don't don't like that. We don't have that problem as Christians because we have family. Even if you're the only person left, even if your spouse has left you, and even even if uh, your children are no longer around, at least there are Christians who care about you and who love you. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what we need to make sure that we try to do. But God says, even if everyone else forsakes you, I'm there with you. The illustration that he makes or the choices that the Holy Spirit makes in verse 2 are, it seems to me, both backward and forward thinking. Now, I'm not in the mind of Isaiah, and I'm certainly not in the mind of the Holy Spirit to be able to see what he was suggesting. But it does seem to me that, and you could take this a couple of different ways, and when he talks about the waters, and you will not be uh, cursed by those waters, there are two big, famous, well-known occasions that even people of the world who are not very biblically inclined know about. One in Exodus 14, one in Joshua chapter 3. One is the crossing of a sea, one is the crossing of a river. And they did so on dry land. One under the leadership of Moses, and one under the leadership of the namesake Joshua, where in the book is written. 
But the other thing that it seems to me is that we could be pointing forward to a time in the future in the time of Daniel. There may be other occasions that we do not know about. And certainly this is not the only time that that Christians historically would, and followers of God, uh, would face fire. Even those that would die at the hands of, for example, Nero would do so oftentimes by fire. And God says, I'm still with you even though you perish physically. Because we understand as we grow as Christians, it's not a matter of living or dying. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, he says, if I live, I'm okay with that. If I die, I'm okay with that as well. And there are people who I have known and you have known and members of this church that I have known in other congregations who have gotten older and they have just simply said, I'm ready to go home. And they don't mean go home from the hospital. (laughs) They mean go home, home. And that's okay. And we sing sometimes. In that moment, he appears and the light from heaven shines and I see his face. When I go home, he'll wipe away every tear. What a beautiful picture for us. Note, if you would, that God continued and continues to be with his people in spite of their many past sins. Now, God says, if you are in error and you continue in error and you refuse to change that error, even after all these times that I've winked at this uh, disobedience, to borrow from Acts 17, he says, you will separate yourself from me as is illustrated elsewhere in the Messianic prophet. Which brings us then to assurance number five. And this is also not a mistake. I made this purposely, and that is God is God. God is God. And again, going back to the gospel meeting that we just had, uh, we talked about the idea of believing in God, but we also talked about on that Sunday morning about believing God, because there's a difference between those two things. And Donna did a nice job of helping us with that. But God is God. He says here in this particular text, he says, for I am the Lord. Consider, if you would, three big implications of this relatively simple, but yet incredibly profound statement. Number one, there's only one God. Remember the context in which this is being written? Remember chapter 42, verse 17 that we read purposely in order to set the context? 42, 17 says, no molded images, no carved images who you call out to be your gods. Don't do that anymore. If someone wants a task, uh, and I'll pay you a quarter, you go through and you find every instance wherein God said either explicitly or implicitly, no other gods. I don't know how many times there are, but there's more than a lot. Where he continually says, stop it. No other gods. I've told you this 30 times. You know, it kind of sounds like a parent talking to a child who's young. I've told you time and time again, don't do this. But yet God's patience is incredible with us because he is God and there's only one of him. Number two, the Savior has proven himself. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, verse 3 of the text. And then three, others who have plagued Judah will be plagued in turn. Isn't that one of the uh, 
really interesting things to read in the Old Testament is to see that the very people who harmed or attempted to harm God's people, God says, I've got something in store for you. It reminds me of my favorite minor prophet, Habakkuk, where he says, you're not going to understand, Habakkuk, that I've got something in the works that is greater, that is beyond your comprehension and beyond your understanding. Well, that brings us to our sixth and our final assurance or guarantee. And it is a simple one, but it is a beautiful one. And it takes us all the way back to John chapter 15. In fact, it takes us back to many of the uh, passages written by the apostle John. And that is to know that God is love. Note, if you would, the beauty of verse four. Verse four is just beautiful. Beautiful. If you, if you read verse four and you're like, eh, Something's not right. But if you read verse four, it says, you are precious in my sight. You have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. I don't want us to really focus on uh, the last part of that. I want us to focus on the first part where he says, I have loved you. That is a beautiful statement that God has made. You could really... If you wanted to get very simple and someone said, what is the Bible about? (laughs) I don't have a half an hour to really tell you what the Bible is about. How could you sum up the Bible in maybe 30 seconds or less? Is it not about a God who loves his people so much that he sent his son and that he wants us to be obedient to him? And he's long-suffering, and he wants us to do what he asked us to do. The story of the Bible, the story of God is repetitive. And it is a theme of this reminder of us as his people whom he loves. I've saved my final point and my favorite point for the end. I didn't want to give it away. Uh, But this is my favorite part of the sermon. (laughs) It's your favorite part of the sermon, too, because we're drawn to an end. But this is my favorite part of the sermon because of this point. As I was studying this, I came across something, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the Hebrew word that is usually translated as love can also be translated as friend. And so when it says, you have been honored, I have loved you, is it not where God is saying Please let me be your friend. God says, I love you. Will you be my friend? And all of us want friends. Again, the idea of being alone, going back to grade school, moving to a new school or moving from fifth grade to middle school. Am I going to have any friends here? Is there going to be anybody here that knows me? That's a frightening thing to be without friends. But God says, I'll be your friend. And we sometimes sing, I'll be a friend to Jesus, my friend to the end. Now, let's go back and let's conclude with a reading of John 15. We won't read all the verses that our brother Roger nicely read for us a few moments ago, but I really want to just look at verse 13. I understand that the book of John, I may not be a Hebrew or a Greek scholar, but I'm smart enough to know that the New Testament is mostly is Greek and the Old Testament is mostly Hebrew. But... Notice, if you would, the word choice of the Holy Spirit in John 15. This struck me. No greater love 
has no one than this. A greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Did you notice the two big words that at least jump out to me, given everything we've talked about in verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one of his friends. You can see, reverse that if you wanted to and still get the same meaning. Greater friend there is not than to lay down his life for someone that he loves. It's the same thing, just flipped around. To me, that is astounding because God says, don't be afraid. Yes, I know that I've talked a lot about disobedience and about molded images and graven images and no other gods and you've been disobedient and stop it and, and, and shape up. I know I've done a lot of that, but don't be afraid. If you are serving me, these are things that I assure you of. I will be your friend. And these are timeless assurances that come from God. If you are not God's friend, it doesn't matter how many best friends you got. It doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you got. It doesn't matter how many people know you in the world. If you are without God, you'll miss everything that there is. If he's not your friend, you might as well not have a friend in the world because no friend compares to the one that we are privileged to serve. And we hope that you'll become a child of God tonight to be called by him so that he can be your redeemer, so that you can belong to him. So that he says, I'm with you, I've got you, because I'm God and I'm your friend. That's the God that we serve. It's also the God that we serve who says, if you disobey me, if you do not do the things that I've asked you to do, the only alternative that I offer is an eternity separated from me and separated from the redeemed. Appreciated, uh, Appreciate all the prayers that our uh, brothers lead us in. Brother John led us in prayer this morning at the outset of our services. And he made mention of going home to heaven, not only where you, our Lord, lives, but who else is going to be there? All the redeemed. Want to be wonderful to see people that you've cared about that are no longer here. Maybe your spouse a child, a parent, but mostly want to be wonderful to see him. And the him there is capital H-I-M, right? That's what really matters. That's what, we're, that's what we're shooting for. That's our goal. We make it our aim to please him. And we hope that you'll make it your aim to please God tonight. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one. The water is ready for you to be baptized. We didn't make that up. We didn't come up with a, a, a list of things that you needed to do in order to be saved. We just looked at what the New Testament taught. And it teaches that belief and repentance and baptism is necessary. Your confession tonight before these people will be the most exciting thing to start out this week. Don't do it just for that reason, but we'd be excited about it either way. If you're here and you are a child of God not living correctly, and you need to come home to your friend and say, I'm sorry. Uh, and it's a public thing. Do so publicly. If it's privately, take care of that privately. Or if we can just pray with you. And I don't mean just in the sense that that's such a little thing. But if that's what you want, we'll pray with you and for you to strengthen you. If we can help you, let us know while we stand, while we sing.